Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Exodus 40, 34 through 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. I want to pray one more time. We've been on a long journey. We made it. This is the end of Exodus, family. God has taught us a lot about his heart and his character, his faithfulness and steadfast love, his holiness and justice as we've studied this book. And now as we're coming to a conclusion of this study of Exodus, I just want to pray for God to pour out extra grace to teach us this morning. Would you join me in that prayer? Our Father in heaven, we love you because you first loved us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for giving your life for us on the cross. Holy Spirit, we love you, and we ask for your help this morning. God, would you be our teacher in every way that we need? Where our wounded hearts need healing, please come and heal us. Where we're living in sin and we need to be called to repentance, would you call us to repentance? Lord, where our vision of you has become distorted, would you reveal to us more clearly the truth of who you are? Would you help us to love and trust and treasure Jesus more today? Would you help us to believe the gospel? We are your children. We're desperately in need of you, and we're thankful for Holy Scripture that teaches us your ways. So come, help us to learn this morning, we pray. I pray for myself, Lord, that I would speak your word not only accurately and faithfully, but with a supernatural empowering so your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts in a way that no man could do. Give us receptive hearts and attentive minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our text today is about God's presence with his people. Look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What that's saying is that in a visible, tangible way, God made his presence known in the center of the camp of the children of Israel. So this is about God being with his people. So everybody say God with us. But you may notice that the title for my sermon, which is on the screen behind me, is the presence and absence of God. The presence and absence of God. And that's because we're finishing today a long journey through the book of Exodus and the story that we've read in the book of Exodus could be summed up like this. This is the story that starts with God's people experiencing his apparent absence. His apparent absence. I say apparent because God never really leaves us alone, does he? But there's a reality that in human life we often feel like God is not with us. And that's where we find Israel at the beginning of this story. They are slaves. Uh, they've been crying out to God for generations to set them free. And they're still slaves. 
grandmothers and grandparents, grand, grandfathers who watched their grandparents live and die in slavery, have now watched their children grow up and lose hope over the years and bring forth kids into the world that are slaves. And as they've cried out and they've kept telling the stories about God's promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the people have become discouraged. They have become embittered. And the thought in their heart is, where is God? He's abandoned us. We're alone. That's important for us to think about, because in the Christian life, we know that God is with us. Remember, after he rose from the dead and gave the disciples the Great Commission, Jesus said, I am with you. What? Always, even to the end of the age, Jesus is with us. Everybody say God with us. But both in scripture and in life, it is often our experience that we feel like God is not with us. Can we just have real talk about this at church today? Can we just be honest about the fact that it's not like we wake up every morning and open our Bibles and get taken up into the third heaven? Sometimes we pray and it feels like our prayers are bouncing back to us. Sometimes we're claiming the promises of God for years and decades, and it feels like it isn't working. Sometimes we're very discouraged. We even come to church where we're trying to hear from God and worship with God's people, and we've got so much pain in our lives, maybe so much pain in relationships with other people in the church even, that it's hard for us to worship, it's hard for us to hear from God, and it's easy for us to start thinking, I'm the only one. There's something wrong with me. All these people have some experience of God. They're hearing from God. They're enjoying God. And I'm the only one. And to get discouraged and give up. Well, I'm here to tell you, friends, you're not the only one. This experience of the apparent absence of God is an experience that's testified to throughout Scripture. It's one that many of the great saints throughout the ages have talked about going through years, even decades of feeling God's absence. And yet learning to trust him even when they couldn't feel him. So you're not alone. Before I get back to verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I want to take a few minutes to remember this story that we've been studying for the last year. That starts with this experience of the apparent absence of God. Sometimes. We take our blessings for granted because we forget how far we have come. God has brought his people in the book of Exodus a mighty long way. And he's brought us a mighty long way, too. By the way, this is, this is good to do with the Bible. It's also good to do with your life. Have you ever started complaining and been struggling with a bad attitude? Then all of a sudden you just come to your senses like, what am I talking about? I deserve to go to hell. I don't have anything that I, that I deserve. Everything I have is a gift of grace. And you just start counting your blessings. Anybody ever done that? If you came here bitter and discouraged this morning, you might try it this afternoon. Just reflect on how far God has brought you. So let's go in our imaginations and maybe in your Bible, if you want to flip back all the way back to the beginning of Exodus. Where do we find the people in chapter one? Well, we find them in Egypt. We find them slaves. We find them suffering under tyranny. Pharaoh and the people of Egypt are afraid of the Israelites. They are sojourners. They're immigrants. They're refugees. They're vulnerable and The fear of Pharaoh leads Pharaoh to act out in hateful, oppressive ways. And not only does he enslave them, but he starts committing infanticide. He starts killing babies. And the midwives who feared God back in Exodus 1.17 were practicing nonviolent civil disobedience, refusing to kill their babies. And yet, as they were trying to fear the Lord and do what was right and trust in God and call on God for help, the babies got killed, didn't they? There was much suffering, much injustice. And everybody was saying, where is God? 
But God had a plan and God set apart baby Moses. God saved the life of baby Moses. And the daughter of Pharaoh adopted him and he grew up as this third culture kid, not really fitting in among the Hebrews or among the Egyptians, which was always a point of pain for him, but it was also a point of power. God was going to use that in his life for a special purpose, which is also going to happen for some people in our church. And as he grew up, he tried to say, "Okay, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. That's what young people say and think. And all the old people say it's never going to change. And Moses is a young person. So he's saying somebody's got to do something. He goes and does something and it goes terribly. That's how young people become disillusioned middle aged people. Right. (laughs) I've been working on that transition and coming back to hope myself as I'm getting into that middle age category now. So uh, Moses says, I'm going to do something about it. And he goes and tries to stand up for a Hebrew and he ends up killing an Egyptian. He does not help. The situation, the situation gets worse. His own people, the Hebrews, turn on him and criticize him. They're mad at him. And Pharaoh sends Moses out. Pharaoh's going to try and kill Moses. So now he's got to go out into exile and he ends up in Midian. But God has not forgotten Moses, has he? So God sends Moses a mentor in the person of Jethro. And God lets Moses spend a few decades out in the wilderness taking care of sheep, learning to practice humility and faithfulness and patience. And then God appears to Moses in a burning bush. But what I want us to remember is that the whole time, for all those generations and all those decades, when it felt like God was absent, he wasn't absent. When it felt like he didn't care, he did care. And that's what Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 to 25 were all about. We spent a while on these verses, and I want to remind you of them today. Here's what it said. And God heard their groaning. Everybody say, God heard. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. Everybody say God saw. And then it says, and God knew. Everybody saying God knew. God was with his people. He, he, he doesn't explain to them why he waits so long to answer their prayers and to keep his promises. And he didn't explain to Job and he doesn't explain to us often. And it's hard for us to wait. The Bible doesn't answer all the questions that we might ask God, but it does give us this assurance that when it feels like God is absent, God is with us. He sees, he hears, he cares. He, he speaks to Moses and says, go back to Israel. This time I'm going with you. We're going to do this my way. And you're going to speak to Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go so they can worship me. And Moses goes back and he proclaims the word of God to the people of Israel. And they say, hooray, God does care about us. And then he goes and proclaims the word of God to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, no, Pharaoh has a hard heart. And once again, Pharaoh makes things harder for the Hebrews and they get mad and they start grumbling against Moses, complaining against Moses. And Moses in in chapter six goes to them and says, no, listen, God loves you. God cares about you. He's going to save you. He's going to bring you out of slavery. He's going to be your God. You're going to be his people. But Exodus chapter six, verse nine said the people of Israel, they really couldn't hear it. They were having a hard time believing this word. Listen to what the text says. Exodus six, nine. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. He spoke words of encouragement, gospel words. And then the text says, But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. That's God's assessment of the situation. That's Holy Spirit inspired text. 
Their spirits are broken because of their slavery, their suffering, their oppression. And it's made them made it hard for them. It looks like spiritual rebellion, and there is some of that mixed in it. It's going to be a lot of that coming up later. But God says it's also their trauma. It's also their pain. It's also their discouraged, broken spirits. That's making it hard for them to hear. So he's patient with them. He's compassionate with them. He doesn't give up on them. Everybody say, God is with us. We read the story. God sends the plagues. God overcomes Pharaoh's hard heart. Eventually, Pharaoh lets the people go and God parts the Red Sea and they pass through the waters unscathed. But God sends the sea crashing down on Pharaoh and his armies. God overcomes the power of evil. Then they get out into the wilderness. They don't have any water and they start grumbling. But God responds with grace and provides for their needs. He gives them water. He takes care of them. Everybody say God is with us. He's meeting their needs. They don't have any food. And instead of trusting God, they grumble and complain. But God responds with grace. He sends them manna, bread from heaven to eat. He takes care of their needs. Everybody say, God is with us. Moses goes up on the mountain. God makes his presence known on the mountain. Smoke, cloud, fire. He speaks and his voice is like a trumpet. The people tremble. They can see and hear now. God is among them. Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back with the word of God. Teaching people how to live as God's people in God's presence. Because God is with them. He cares for them. But their hearts are still hard. They still don't listen. They keep rebelling over and over and over. Their rebellion hits its high point in that horrible story about the golden calf. Remember that one? Johnson preached a good sermon about the golden calf a couple months ago. The golden calf where they turn away from the Lord. God said, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall make no graven images. But the people complained to Aaron and Aaron, the high priest, brother of Moses, makes a big old golden statue and says, this is the Lord, Yahweh, your God who brought you out of Israel. The people have a big pagan immoral party to worship the false God. They rebel. They're a stiff necked people. And in this moment. The anger of the Lord is kindled. God's holy justice is about to be poured out with wrath upon them. But Moses, the man of God, prays for the people. He goes into the he's already in the presence of God and he cries out, Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, have mercy on them. And God relents and he has mercy. He says, "Okay, I'm not going to wipe out my people. But Moses is still concerned because he knows that. Listen to this. This is important for the book of Exodus. Moses has come to understand what the people of Israel have not yet come to understand, that being set free from slavery and going into the promised land is not enough to satisfy a human heart. We need more. And what we need is God himself. Only God can satisfy our hearts. And so Moses prayed this prayer in Exodus 33:15. after God had already said, I'm not going to destroy my people. I will take them into the promised land. Then Moses says this. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go to the promised land without you, God. What we need more than anything is a relationship with God. We need the presence of God. So Moses said, I don't I don't want anything if I can't have you. And our text today tells us that God has heard the prayer of Moses and God answered the prayer of Moses. God is saying, in effect, I am with you. I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. Despite the unfaithfulness of his people, he's not giving up on them because his steadfast love endures forever. That's been one of our favorite words in Exodus, hadn't it? Everybody say steadfast love. So with that big story in mind, then we get to today's text and we read verse 34. Let's read it one more time. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The people have been working for a long time now to build this tabernacle, which is going to be at the center of the camp. It's going to be a sign of God's presence with his people. But it's not just the tabernacle. God's given them another sign of his presence because the cloud, the same shining glory of God that was revealed on the mountain. Now it comes down in the midst of the people. Remember when they didn't want to go up on the mountain and be near the cloud? That's the cloud that comes now and it's right among the people. The cloud is a sign of God's presence with them. The word glory we've talked about throughout our study of Exodus. What the word glory means is that God is making his goodness known among the people in a way that they can see or feel or hear or touch. His presence is with them. Verses 36 through 38 tell us that his presence is with him and his presence is going to stay with them. He's never going to leave them. He's going to lead them every step of the way. Let's read those verses. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle day by day. The fire was in it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. What a way for the book to end. What are those verses saying? They're saying step by step, God is leading his people. Step by step. He never leaves them alone. They don't have to take one step of the journey by themselves. Step by step. By day and by night, he's with the people. They see the cloud by day and by night it lights up like a fire. Fire has been a symbol of God's holy presence throughout the book of Exodus, hasn't it? And now by night, everybody can look. It says in the sight of all the people, from the old grandmas to the little babies that were just born, everybody can see the fire. And when they see the fire, they have the reminder of God's grace that he has brought them a mighty long way. Not only has he brought them out of slavery, but he has forgiven their sin when they rebelled against them. He has provided for their needs every step of the way. He's never going to leave them because he is their God and they are his people. Everybody say God with us. God with us. It's a beautiful story. But then right in the middle of it, we have verse 35. And in verse 35, we see a powerful and perhaps painful reminder that there is still a certain amount of distance between God and his people. We find out that even Moses, the great man of God, can't enter into this cloud. But read verse 35 with me. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, we got to be careful not to read over that verse too quick. We could just read this as a statement about this is how awesome the glory of God was. Even Moses couldn't go in. And it is that in part. But there's a something disturbing being forecast in this verse from the perspective of the people of Israel. 
Because throughout this book of Exodus, Moses has been the mediator. That's been an important word too. everybody say mediator. A mediator means a go between. Moses goes to God and then brings the word of God to the people of Israel. Then Moses goes back to God and prays for the people when they were going to be destroyed because of their sin. Moses, the man of God, was the mediator who prayed for God to have mercy and God relented and forgave their sin. Moses is the mediator. He was in the presence of God. Moses is the one when nobody else could go. He could go. Remember this from Exodus chapter 24, verse two. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up with him. He was the mediator. And now Moses cannot go in. That Some people might have seen that and been overwhelmed by the glory of God and trembled with fear of God and with gratitude and love. But then they might have said, wait a minute, even Moses can't go in. And they might have said, I've got questions. What does this mean for our future? If Moses, the mediator, cannot go into the tent, then there may be a problem. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you, and I'm not alone, a number of biblical scholars make the same point. I would suggest to you that the whole book of Leviticus is in part about that problem. Listen to how the book of Leviticus starts. If you've got a Bible, you can flip over to it. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, picks up where Exodus 34, 35 left off. I'm sorry, Exodus 40, 35. Leviticus 1, 1 says this. The Lord called Moses... And spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, wait, did you catch that? The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. God's calling out from the tent of meeting. Where's Moses? He's outside the tent of meeting. That's interesting. And it it creates a problem. The, The book of Leviticus then is filled with all sorts of rituals of purification to make the unclean clean and sacrifices of atonement to wipe away the sins of the people. And after the people learn how to practice this law of the Lord in order to consecrate themselves over and over and over because they keep sinning over and over, everybody, including the high priests, have to be cleansed over and over and over. Then we read Numbers 1, 1, like this. Listen to how the book of Numbers starts. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting. He went in. What does that mean? It means Leviticus worked. It means Moses got cleansed so he could come into the tent of meeting. That's what Leviticus is about. But that really doesn't solve the problem because it still raises the issue. Moses and all the people of Israel, Aaron, the high priest, all of their spiritual leaders keep sinning over and over and over and keep having to be cleansed over and over and over. And this cycle seems like it's not going to work. As a matter of fact, I would say Exodus chapter 40, verse 35 is already foreshadowing another moment in which the inadequacy of Moses as a mediator becomes even more clear. And I'm talking about Numbers chapter 20. You remember the story? Once again, the people of Israel don't have any water, so they start complaining. Moses goes and talks to God about it. God says, go speak to the rock and I'll make water come out. But Moses loses his temper. Instead of speaking to the rock, he hits the rock like he had done before. It doesn't work, so he hits it again. When he hits it again, God lets the water come out. But then in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly 
into the land that I have given them. What I'm saying is even the great Moses wasn't even able to enter the promised land because of his sin. If Moses can't enter the cloud of glory, if he's got to have continual sacrifices and cleansing rituals to make him clean, if he can't go into the promised land, then what hope is there for everybody else? So I want you to notice two things in this text. One of them is this. The text is teaching us God is with his people. We might as well say it again. Everybody say God with us. But the second thing is we have in verse 35 this sort of unsettling reminder. The book ends without satisfying us. By the way, let me tell you, every book of the Old Testament ends without satisfying us. It awakens longings that are too great to be fulfilled within its own narrative. Because every book about the Old Testament is silently crying out one name. What's the name? Both the experience of God's presence at the end of Exodus and this truth that even Moses can't actually go into the heart of God's presence. Both of those realities are pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Let me show you what I mean. This experience of the presence of God in Exodus is wonderful. But over and over again throughout the Old Testament, the people are going to blow it. And eventually they're going to get thrown into exile. And they're going to be crying out, oh, Lord, we want to go back to Jerusalem, to the temple and experience your presence again. They're going to cry out over and over and over. And pretty soon it's going to be Advent season. A few weeks from now. And one of the famous Advent verses, Christmas verses is Matthew chapter one. I'm going to read you. I'm going to jump around in the New Testament for a second. So you can either just sit back and listen or you can try to jump with me. But I'm going to Matthew chapter one. You remember this text? The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary. And told her, you're going to have a baby and his name's going to be what? That was, that was kind of weak. His name's going to be what? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We've got to get excited about the best part of this thing. He, you're going to have a baby. His name is going to be made Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And then verse 22 says this. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, what does it say? It means God with us. Jesus is God with us. He's the one that the people have been waiting for. So when Moses says, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. The ultimate answer to that prayer is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God with us. After his death for our sins and his resurrection, He ascended to the right hand of the Father, but listen to what Jesus said before he left. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7, we read this. Jesus has been telling the people he's about to go away. He's about to ascend, but he says this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Don't you just want to stop every time you read those words? have, Have you ever fantasized about... The incarnate Lord Jesus actually being with you and you could ask him questions. Doesn't that sound wonderful? I want to see him. I want to touch him. But Jesus said to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go back into heaven. What could he mean by that? Well, I think he means several things, but there's one that he specifies as the text continues. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit the helper. When Jesus ascended 
to heaven and sat down on a throne at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of everybody who trusts in Christ. Everybody say God with us. But this isn't just Jesus, the incarnate Lord beside us. It's the Holy Spirit inside us. It's a deeper and more intimate and more transforming experience of God's presence. So everything about God with us in Exodus is pointing forward to a greater reality, which is ours in Christ. But also the failure of Moses, the mediator, the weakness, the inadequacy of Moses, the mediator is pointing forward to Jesus. Just remember what Paul said in first Timothy, chapter two, verses five and six. He says there is one God and there is one mediator. That's our word again. One mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. You see, Jesus could do what Moses could never do because Jesus is the God man. He's a hundred percent eternal God and he's a hundred percent human, one person in two natures. And because of that, he could fulfill the law of God perfectly on humanity's behalf and then bear his own wrath, bear the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. He could take the punishments. He could absorb the consequence of what we deserve for our sin. He paid our ransom so that we who were slaves to sin could be set free and then rose again. I don't have time to go to Hebrews chapter nine, but if you want to go deep into this reality, I encourage you read Hebrews nine this week and then reread it and then get two or three study Bibles and a friend to help you study it because it's a deep chapter. But here's what it's saying. It's saying Jesus is a better mediator of Moses and he gives us a better covenant than Moses gave us because when Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross, he paid the price once for all. So that all of us, we don't have to stand on the outside of the earthly tent, which was a copy of the heavenly throne room of God. Jesus can take us all the way into the heavenly throne room of God. We can go into the fire, but we won't be burnt up because we're covered by his grace. Now, that's all very encouraging, but I got to ask this question. Does scripture leave us today saying, so God is with us, everything is great, and the absence of God is is no more a part of the human experience, so you should be fine. It doesn't leave us there. Because just, well, not just like, we're in a better situation than the people of Israel were in Exodus 40. But much like them, we're standing between the already and the not yet. What do we already have? If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, we already have the forgiveness of sins, amen? We're already adopted into the family of God. We already have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We're already one new family in Christ. We have so much blessing, but we still live in a broken world and we're still waiting for this world to be healed. And we still have those days that we started this sermon talking about when we wake up in the morning and think I'm overwhelmed by how hard work is going to be. Oh, and by the way, I've been working hard for 10 years and it seems like nothing is changing and I'm exhausted and does God even care about me? We still have days where we're experiencing the apparent absence of God. And this should remind us that we, we do need to remember God is with us, but we're waiting for an experience of the presence of God, which is far greater than anything we've imagined. So we've got to learn how to live by hope. Let me, let me point you to two verses of Scripture. These are the last two I'm going to point you to. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1? He was in a jail cell. <coughs> 
for preaching the gospel. He didn't know if he was going to live or die. And he says, I don't actually know which one I would prefer. Remember that? It's a weird thing to say. But he said, if I keep preaching the gospel, then more people will come to know Jesus. And I want that really bad. But then he says this, Philippians 1.23, he said, I am hard pressed between the two. The two here is the two options. I don't know if I'd rather die or live. Does Paul say that because he's a depressed guy with a death wish? No, Paul's not depressed. Paul's filled with the joy of the Lord. That's what Philippians is about. But he says, as joyful as I am to live with Christ, there is something better waiting for me at the other side of death. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. This is the same Apostle Paul who in Philippians 3 will say, the experience of relationship with Jesus that I have experienced is so great that everything else in my life is like trash compared to the joy and the love and the intimacy that I experience of knowing Jesus. Paul knew better, knew Jesus better probably than most of us do. Can we be honest about that? Paul had a really close walk with Jesus. And yet he said, I'm looking forward to a moment after I die when I'm going to be really with Christ. And that will be far, far better than anything I've experienced yet. Or we could look to the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. It's describing the second coming of Jesus and the reconciliation of heaven and earth, the new creation, the healing of God's world. And here's what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Everybody say God with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what we're looking forward to. Resurrected bodies, yes. A world without injustice, yes. Rest, yes. But most of all, we're looking forward to the presence of God. To such a degree that we really can't imagine about it now. I could rant and rave and dance and sing and do all sorts of stuff up here. And there's nothing I could do to convey how awesome it's going to be. When we see Jesus face to face and... I kind of feel like he's going to wipe tears from all of our eyes. And there may be tears over a lot of old wounds that hadn't quite healed right yet. But I think probably all of us are going to be overwhelmed by tears of gratitude. Don't you think? When I think back to all of my sins, the stuff Satan brings up at inopportune moments, tells me about my failures. And then I think of the cross of Jesus and the price he paid for me. And then there's going to be a day in which I stand in glory and I'm entering into infinite, endless joy. And I see the face of my Savior. It's hard to imagine not crying in that moment, isn't it? But Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from every eye. He's going to say, come on in. Everything is new. Everything is clean. You're my child. I love you. I want to finish today by giving you a couple of practical exhortations. As we're wrapping up the book of Exodus, there's two things I want you to Think about application of this text to our lives. This theme of God with us should encourage us because it's not talking about a pie in the sky ideal. It's talking about the lived reality of the Christian life every day, whether we feel like it or not. 
God really is with us. So here's exhortation number one I want to give to you. Practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. That's a phrase that comes from Brother Lawrence, great monk and man of prayer. But I want it to be a phrase that gets into our spiritual vocabulary. So let's go ahead and say it. Everybody say, practice the presence of God. Here's what I mean. I mean that God is with us every day, whether we feel like it or not. Sometimes we complain so much about how we don't feel like he's with us. But then if we ask ourselves some questions, we haven't really done anything to make ourselves aware of or attentive to his presence. Anybody ever felt mad at God because he wasn't speaking to you and then you thought about it and you hadn't read your Bible in a few weeks? Anybody ever raged against the Lord because your heart was so hard and you felt like you couldn't change and yet you were filling your mind with all sorts of destructive, godless, worldly media instead of filling your heart with the truth of Jesus? You see, experiencing the presence of God takes practice. There's a reality that God is with us. Christ said, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit dwells within every Christian. But we got to ask a question that Dietrich Bonhoeffer asked his students early in his teaching career. He asked the question, what is the structure of Christ's presence on earth? In other words, how do you experience the presence of God? And he answered that question with three things, which I'm going to give you real quick and then I'm going to add to them. He said, we experience, the structure of Christ's presence is word, sacrament, and community. Word, sacrament, and community. What does he mean? He means when you open up the word of God in your room by yourself, or when you come to church and hear the word of God proclaimed, God himself is present with you. Christ is making himself known. He is disclosing himself to you. So if we want to practice the presence of God, we have to practice the spiritual discipline of putting ourselves under the word of God. Sacrament. He meant baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're baptized into Christ. And when we go to the Lord's table and take it, Jesus says to us time after time after time again, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. This is the gospel of grace that I'm giving you. Receive it by faith. And in community, we experience Christ in fellowship with one another. That's what Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there with him. Now, what does that mean? Listen, Jesus is everywhere, whether we're there or not, right? He's omnipresent. That's part of the attributes of God. The divine nature of Christ is omnipresent. But what he means is my experience, uh, my presence and my authority is experienced in a special way through the assembled church, which is the body of Christ. So we find God's presence through fellowship with one another. That's why we prioritize Christian community. It's not about exalting an institution over a living, organic relationship with Jesus. It's about the fact that Jesus says, I'm giving myself to you in my body, which is the church. And we could add to this that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, this is what I want to add to it. He says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. And it's been my experience over and over that we experience the presence of Christ as we love those who are hurting. Here's another way to put that. When people who need the gospel, when people who need tangible help, the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, the poor, the disabled, present themselves to us, they are not an inconvenience. First of all, they're a precious image bearer of God. And second of all, they are Christ giving himself to us in the suffering of our neighbor. So we can experience his presence. And of course, maybe we should say something about prayer. That seems like a good fifth thing to add to this list. Don't you think so? 
through word, through baptism in the Lord's Supper, uh, Lord's Supper, through community, through caring for those who are hurting, through prayer, practice the presence of God. It, what it means really is take hold of the means of grace that God has given you to train your heart to be aware of God's presence and to trust that he is with you, whether you feel like it or not. Put yourself in a position where the Holy Spirit is going to work on you to open your eyes to see the reality of God's presence with you. So everybody say, practice the presence of God. But the second exhortation I want to give to you and with which I want to close this week is this. When we experience the feeling that God is absent, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Instead of getting discouraged, what my prayer for myself and for us as a community is this, that when you feel like God is not with you, instead of believing the lie that God isn't with you, you'll remember the truth of Scripture that He is with you, but you'll let that pain of feeling like God is absent stir up in you a reminder that this world is not your home, that you're living for a different place. Hebrews thirteen fourteen. I said I wasn't going to read another Scripture, but this one's not in my notes. I'm just quoting it. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We're living for a different day. So when the ache of God's apparent absence rises up in our hearts, don't lose heart. Remember that he is here with you, but let that pain fuel you to cry out, come, Lord Jesus, to cry out, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We're longing for the world to be filled with your glory, to live by hope and future grace. That's the prayer of my heart. Why don't you join you, uh, bow your heads and, and join me in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for the reality that in Christ we get to enjoy your presence now. We can live day by day fellowshipping with Jesus, filled with his spirit. And I pray that you would help us to be a people who appropriate that gospel reality. Lord, if there's anyone here who has not turned from sin to trust in Jesus, I pray right now that your spirit would call them, that they would make that choice to repent and to trust in Christ. And that for every one of us here, day by day, we would live as friends of Jesus, remembering your presence, celebrating your presence, walking with you step by step. And secondly, I pray, Lord, for myself, for everyone here. And my heart right now goes for the young people. Lord, we got several in the room right now who just graduated from Children's Church to being with us. And I'm thankful for the faith that you've awakened in their hearts. I pray for them and for the rest of us, Lord. That when life is hard and it feels like you are absent, that we remember you're with us and we would set our hope on future grace. Let these young folks live by hope in the hard times. For all of us now as we go to the Lord's Supper, remind us of your grace. Remind us of your presence and of your promise. Strengthen us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.